Let me ask you this. Uh, as we're receiving our gifts, are you a gift giver? <laughs> Beyond your finances. Are you the person who loves to give gifts? Because most of us love to receive gifts, right? Okay, you want to give me a new car? Yes, please. You want to give me some diamonds? Oh, twist my arm, right? You want to give me a puppy? Check with my husband, right? You want to give me a giant green bearded iguana complete with heat lamp and a cage? No, thank you. Keep that one for yourself. We are usually pretty good at receiving gifts, right? But does it feed your inner self to give gifts? You know, my mom was a total gift giver. She loved to shop for the perfect gifts. She would spend hours No, actually, she would spend days shopping for just the right thing, just the right color, the right size. She, uh, she, when she found that gift, she would buy it for us no matter what time of year it was. She showed that she cared for us by giving gifts. And I remember one Christmas after our family had finished opening presents, and uh, we were kind of all sitting back. You know how that goes. You're all sitting back kind of surveying what what's in front of you and she was looking out over all the wrapping paper and she got this really confused look on her face and I said mom what's up and she she didn't say anything she just sprinted up the stairs and we heard her rummaging around upstairs and uh, a few minutes later she comes down the stairs and she's carrying this giant suitcase behind her she's dragging it thump 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 and we're like oh man dad really screwed up Christmas this time and she's out of here that wasn't the case wasn't the case. She drags the suitcase across and she plops it in front of my sister, who was about 24 at the time. And she said, there you go. Merry Christmas. And my sister's like, okay, whatever. She unzips the suitcase and in it is this, this giant box of brand new pots and pans that my mom had bought for her last June and then hidden them in the suitcase for safekeeping. Have you ever done that? Anybody in here? Bought the gift, hidden it. Have you ever forgotten where you hid it? Found it later? Yep. I knew that. Well, my mom was a gift-giving parent. She might have been forgetful, but she loved to give gifts. And she's not unlike our Father in Heaven. Have you ever thought about God as a gift-giver? Think about the gifts that He has given us, right? He's given us life. The creation story that God wrote for us in Genesis says that God formed the man out of dust from the ground and then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. We sang about that just a few minutes ago. He gave us life. And then later, later, the Psalms tell us that that life um, was planned out for us, that all the days formed for us were ordained before even one of them came to be. God then gave our life purpose. But because of the fall, when man chose sin over God, and the fact that that sin actually separates us from God, God is perfect. He cannot be next to anything that is sinful. So God made a way for us to be with him in heaven by sending his only son, Jesus Christ, to us. You've all heard this verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son to us, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You know, God is the greatest gift giver of all gift givers, right? He gave us his son, Jesus, that through our belief in Christ as Savior, we would know grace. And the forgiveness of our sin. That's quite a gift. But you know what? God doesn't stop there. Because when we receive Jesus as our Savior, we are given the gift of a family. Believe it or not, this is your family. May not look exactly like your biological family, but God has given us this 
family, the body of Christ, a.k.a. the church. And this is the place where we can find support and comfort and love and purpose and continue to grow as image bearers of Christ. Doesn't that sound beautiful? It is beautiful. It's also beautifully messy because it involves people, right? And, you know, God's design is that we would gather together as believers for worship, for prayer, for study. But anytime you get a group of people together, there are needs to be met. When it comes to people and learning, growing, supporting, sharing, comforting, teaching other people, sometimes caring for God's people goes beyond what we know how or are capable of navigating. None of that has escaped God's attention, though. And so so God has given us special gifts, individual, God-determined, spirit-empowered gifts to care for the body of believers, his church. And this is where I want to focus today. We're going to talk about our spiritual gifts, where they come from, what they are, how you get them, and which ones are ours, okay? And now this might be news to you, that you have some gifts that you don't know about. This will be fun. Or maybe you have heard about spiritual gifts, but it seems a little out there. Those are, that, that's for those real Jesus freaks. Okay, well, you're looking at a Jesus freak this morning, so we're going to go there. Spiritual gifts are actually prophesied by the prophet Joel. They were promised by Jesus in the book of Mark. You will hear and you will read uh, the spiritual gifts um, talked about in Romans, in Acts, in 1 Peter, through 1 Corinthians. And so for today, though, I want to focus on what the Apostle Paul had to say about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. So if you've got your Bibles with you or your Bible app, go ahead and open that up. And we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning. And I'm going to read all the way through it. Those of you who've heard me teach before know that this is the way I love to go through is let's, let's go through the whole passage and then we'll pick our way back through it. So Paul starts by telling the Corinthians, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Interesting. Skip down to verse four. He says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, And all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Well, that's a pretty hefty passage, and we've got a lot to walk through. And so not to be uninformed, we're going to dive in on some of the details. Where can we go to get a spiritual gift, right? Does it appear under the tree just like a Christmas present? Can I purchase it with Visa, or do I need American Express? Or maybe Amazon Prime just brings it right to my door. Well, that's all a little ridiculous, right? Because we just read in that first verse or first little passage, Paul wants us to be informed and he says, there are varieties of gift, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Did you hear that all the way through that passage? Right? Spiritual gifts, can't buy them. They're given to us through the Holy Spirit. Now, God's Spirit lives in us. 
The Holy Spirit who lives inside us knows us intimately and determines exactly which gift will fit us like a glove. He is the source of any spiritual gift we might receive. And according to scripture, every believer receives at least one spiritual gift from God. So none of us are off the hook. And before we talk about what those gifts actually look like, I want to touch on what they are not. Because I, I think there tends to be some confusion between spiritual gifts and like fruit of the spirit. So a couple things that they are not. Spiritual gifts are not personality traits. How many of you in here have taken the Enneagram? Come on, admit it. It's like the new personality trait thing. How many of you have taken DISC assessment or Myers-Briggs or Strength Finders? A lot of businesses use Strength Finders. There are hundreds of tests out there to help us identify what our strengths are, what some of our personality traits are in order for us to choose the right career, choose the right activities. Personality is your God-given character traits, and that's what makes you who you are. But they are not spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are not the same as the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, I know a lot of you who've been in Sunday school for a while or have taught, or even some of your Christian school kids can name the fruit of the Spirit out of Galatians 5, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Okay, I'm really, really impressed because there were a lot of you reciting that. Here's what the fruit of the Spirit are. They're the, um, the results of an intimate deep relationship with Jesus Christ, where the indwelling Holy Spirit fills us, works in us, and then works through us. That's when our lives bear the fruit of his Spirit. It's when we operate in the Spirit, not in the flesh, that we experience peace, and then those we encounter sense that peace. That's when we exude joy, and that joy is infectious. That's when we exhibit kindness and gentleness at times where we may have lost our temper before. These are the fruit our lives bear as we commit to become more, more Christ-like, hence the fruit of the Spirit, right? But they are not spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts, on the other hand, are divine, supernatural endowments that God entrusts to each of us to be utilized for his purposes. So the, the word gift in Greek is charisma, meaning it's divine gratuity or miraculous free gift. But the Apostle Paul, in the passage that we just read, defines spiritual gifts this way. He calls them a manifestation of the Spirit in verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. I just like that word, manifestation. I'll just say it over and over. It's not an infestation, okay, absence of lice or, or uh, ants, so just, just so that we're clear. Manifestation. It's the Greek word phanerosis, and it's an expression of God's power through his people. Now, some of us here have really cool abilities, in our culture, someone who has a, a special skill or, or great ability, we call them gifted. You know anybody who you consider to be gifted? I know quite a few. My friend Quincy, who you saw up here singing a little bit ago, she has a bell of a voice. She was bo probably born with that. And then she's developed this incredible acting ability. She was Mary Poppins in the Civic Theater last year. Maybe you have, uh, have the endurance ability to run marathons like my friend Nancy. I think she runs like two a year. It's, it's a little nutty. Or maybe you have a, a, a genius-level math brain. Or maybe you've developed the skill to solve the Rubik's Cube really, really fast. 
there's this dude, Felix Zemdigs of Australia. He was 20, 20, 22 years old, and he solved the Rubik's Cube in world record time this last year. Anybody see that? Anybody know how fast it was? 4.22 seconds to solve a Rubik's Cube. Isn't that crazy? That's fast. Or maybe you can taste a sip of wine and determine which type of grape on which side of the mountain, in which country, in which year that wine was made, like my friend Todd can. And while I think that Todd is a wine genius, not to be confused with a wino, <laughs> his sommelier skill was developed through his own experience and his own inclination to serve his own ambitions. That's not selfish. It's what he's passionate about. Because these are really cool, cultivated talents and natural abilities. But what sets a spiritual gift apart from a natural ability is its divine nature. It comes from God alone and its purpose. See, a spiritual gift is a manifestation, an expression of God's power for the common good. God bestows spiritual gifts on us for the good of others around us. Spiritual gifts are given to us for others. Pastor Rick Warren in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, says that spiritual gifts are an expression of God's grace to us, given to every believer to be used in ministry as a means of helping the entire church. And we see his statement actually confirmed in Ephesians 4. It says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. What is clear is that spiritual gifts are given for the enrichment of the church to build up the body of Christ. And that's what brings God glory. You know, I have... Loved the validation that comes from taking personality tests and discovering my makeup, what makes me special, right? Or developing a certain skill. I loved developing my arm. I was a high school fast pitch catcher, and I could throw down to second like nobody's business. I had quite the arm. The validation we gain in knowing that we are good at something, it fills us, right? It tells us that we have value within a given community. But what we see here in these verses about spiritual gifts is that it's different. When God bestows a spiritual gift on a believer, it's not for that believer. It is for, it's to serve someone else within the church for the common good. That the church would flourish and God would be glorified. You know, as I researched uh, this for this message, I, I had a little humbling moment. I remember thinking, um, Lord, I'm not not so okay with this for the common good part, if I'm being really honest. It really challenges my me-ism because life is supposed to be all about me and my understanding of gifts given to me are that they are for me to enjoy, dang it. So let me just tell you what he said. He impressed on me very strongly. It's not about you, Glendy. I know that some of us in here probably struggle with meism as bad as I do, so let me just repeat what the Lord said to me. It's not about us. Spiritual gifts are not about us. But oh, can I tell you that when you know that you know that God has used you in a way that is so far beyond your realm of ability, so far beyond anything that you could think, it will fill you unlike anything else does. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in its various forms. I love that God calls us out of our meism. He's always calling us to think 
to love and to serve beyond ourselves, and that's so good. So let's review really quick. What do we know about spiritual gifts? Their origin, right? They originate with God. They're given to us through the Holy Spirit. They are beyond our natural ability. They are supernatural in nature, and they allow us to serve others in a way that brings glory to God. You know, there are various schools of thought on how many gifts there are. North Church actually uses a, a DISC assessment, and spiritual gifts assessment, that identifies 23 spiritual gifts. Some may be more permanent in nature, like the ones in our Ephesians, Ephesians passage just a minute ago, evangelism, teaching, pastoring, prophesying. And some may be more infrequent gifts that a Christian might only ever experience once in their lifetime. We're going to dial back through this 1 Corinthians passage and take a look at a few of the gifts that Paul lays out for us in chapter 12. So let's start with verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom. Now, I think we can all think of somebody who's wise that we know, right? Somebody that we would consider very wise. The gift of wisdom, though, moves beyond natural ability. It brings logical information to bear, and it allows the gift recipient to kind of connect the dots, connect puzzle pieces into a whole picture, if you will. So think of the gift of wisdom as a message of wisdom from God's perspective through one person to influence others. It is an extraordinary gift. That extraordinary word would apply to the gift of knowledge. Knowledge is a revelation of information that would have, one would have no other way of knowing except from God. One of my favorite Bible stories where someone was given a gift of knowledge is in the book of Luke. You may recall the, this story. There was a, a young woman named Mary. And Mary traveled to see her cousin Elizabeth in another town. Elizabeth was pregnant at the time. And uh, when Mary entered into Elizabeth's home, Elizabeth hadn't even seen her yet, and yet her baby leaped, leaped in her womb. And the Bible tells us that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she goes to Mary and she exclaims, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth, before Mary ever even spoke a word, was given a word of knowledge that came from the Holy Spirit, telling her that not only was Mary pregnant, but Mary was pregnant with the Messiah, her Savior, Jesus Christ. There was no other way that Elizabeth could have known this information except by God. I wonder if you've ever experienced the gift of a word of knowledge. Have you ever had the thought, I need to pray this for this person right now? And when you pray that, the person says, whoa, how did you know? And there's no other way that you could have known except by God. That's the spiritual gift of knowledge. Paul goes on in verse 9 to talk about um, other spiritual gifts, the gift of faith and healing to another faith and by the same spirit to another gifts of healing by the one spirit. Healing makes sense to us, right? I know many of us in here can think of stories where we know that someone was healed when people prayed for them, where the laying on of hands, through the laying on of hands, God supernaturally healed injuries or some kind of disease. But what can you do? How can one actually serve others with the gift of faith? I'm so glad that you asked. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 11 gives us an incredible list of believers who've known the gift of faith and what can be accomplished through spirit-empowered faith. Here's what he said in verse 33 and 34. Those who through faith 
They conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness. They became mighty in war. They put foreign armies to flight. There is given to some divine empowerment to trust God for the miraculous in incredibly tough circumstances. That is the spiritual gift of faith. Paul goes on in verse 10. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Paul goes on to identify five more gifts, miracles, prophecy, discernment, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. But I want to stop here on faith. Dial back for a minute. Because I know that some in here, as we talk about these final gifts, will find it hard to believe in miracles or prophecy. Find it out of your comfort zone to, to think that someone can actually speak in another language that they don't understand. They don't know what they're saying. The gift of tongues is the God-given ability to speak in other languages with words too deep for the mind to comprehend. An interpretation of tongues is simply the translation of those words. If you find that out of your comfort zone, let me tell you this. Me too. Me too. I remember at one time I found the whole concept of spiritual gifts so far out of my realm of understanding that it was so much easier to just disregard or dismiss them. I just couldn't believe that God would give me or anyone else the spiritual gift of tongues until he did. I couldn't believe that God would still in the business of miracles until my family experienced one. See, we often deny that which we don't understand, but if we let it, our lack of understanding will limit our belief in God's supernatural ability to perform the impossible through us. And as a byproduct of that misunderstanding, it will limit our openness to be used of God for his purposes. You know what? We're not the only ones who have doubted God's supernatural ability. There's a story in the book of John after Jesus had been crucified on the cross. The disciples were in the upstairs room and they were huddled there and Jesus came right through, a resurrected Jesus came right through a locked door and he appeared to them. Thomas hadn't been with them that morning, though, and, and so when the brothers told Thomas all about it, he didn't believe them. He said, no way, I don't believe you. <coughs> Eight days later, though, Jesus came again through that locked door, and he stood in front of Thomas, and he challenged him to touch the wounds on his hands and his side, and in doing so, Thomas professed his belief that Jesus had been raised from the dead. And Jesus said to Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. If we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and yet we haven't seen him, like Thomas had the privilege of doing, we haven't touched his side or his hands like Thomas did, can we not believe in faith that through Jesus' power, that he has the power to perform miracles through us, that he could bring healing through our fingertips, that he could lay out future plans through our teachings and speak words that we don't understand through our lips. By faith, we are to believe and eagerly seek spiritual gifts that glorify Christ and serve others. It's not ours to determine whether we receive spiritual gifts or which ones we get. It's God's will. He determines what time 
and which gifts he will give. Verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he will. Now, there are those who believe in cessationism. Cessationism is the belief that spiritual gifts were for the disciples, the apostles at the time of Pentecost, but since that time, they have ceased. Okay, to each his own. But you're in a four-square church. You're in a four-square church that believes and teaches and has experienced the beauty and the Holy Spirit's manifestation of special gifts given according to God's will. I want to tell you about one of those manifestations that was experienced by a member or members of this church. My husband, John, is my hero. Absolutely. Stand on that till the day I die. He's up there in the corner. Some of you have been here a long time, and you may recall that John led our missions team for a period of time. He led about six different teams to Senegal, West Africa, and uh, they planted a church there um, with some local pastors, and uh, uh, God was really at work through our church. We adopted a village named Jundum. It was about two hours out of Dakar, Senegal. And uh, one of the trips, the team in advance of the trip decided that they wanted to bless the kids in in Jundum. And so they decided to hold a VBS, a vacation Bible school of sorts, with the same kind of activities. And they knew that the Senegalese kids um, often suffered from infections, skin infections, because parasites would get in through their skin as they walked barefoot through the sand. And so we decided to bring some relief to that uh, need, and um, we bought 400 pairs of flip-flops from Old Navy for a dollar apiece. That's what they sold them to us. And the summer before the team went to Senegal, we decided to kind of create a connection between our kids here in Spokane and the kids in Senegal. And so uh, we had all the kids at our VBS in Spokane, Life Center North. It was in our old building. They decorated all those flip-flops with ribbon and pieces of string, and they drew pictures. And we took pictures of every single kiddo. And then we packaged those all up. We put suckers in there and and, uh, wrapped them all together. And then I personally packed 400 pairs of flip-flops into suitcases for the team to take to Africa. And so later on that year, the team um, flies out and they get to Senegal. And uh, the day of the VBS comes. (coughs) And my husband and John uh, were setting up around out of a white van and the rest of the the team was, had activities going on in the village square. There you can see John in the green shirt, birds in the background. So the kids start to gather around this van to get their footwear gift. And Bert's up there, and he's handing down flip-flops to John. And John, uh, as each kid came to him, he would uh, measure. He'd have them hold up their foot, and he'd kind of judge and measure a flip-flop according to the size of the foot. He'd hand it over. He'd be like, that's good enough. Hand it over. Give him a high five. Move on to the next kiddo. And they kind of developed this rhythm with Bert handing them down, John measuring the feet, going, yeah, go, bud, and, uh, and moving on. After about two really sweaty hours, John hollers up uh, to Bert, yeah, you can see what our packages look like there with kiddos from our VBS. I don't know, maybe that's one of your kiddos. Uh, after about two hours, um, they've been going for a while, and so John hollers up to Bert, and he says, Bert, how many flip-flops do we have? Bert says, I've got one full suitcase here, and then I've got about half a suitcase in front of me, about 50 or 60 flip-flops left. John's like, okay, let's just keep going. So they continue the rhythm, hold up a foot, measure the foot, hand over a flip-flop, give a high five and a smile, and move on to the next kid. And they'd been doing that for another hour or so. 
Bert was up in the van, and so he had the ability to look out the van windows and see um, the roads coming into Jundun. And he calls out to John and goes, man, John, they're coming in from everywhere. We've got people streaming in. And John goes, okay, well, how many do we have left? And Bert says, oh, I've got one full suitcase and about half a suitcase right in front of me. They get back at it. And they're measuring feet, right, handing them down, measuring feet, handing over flip-flops, giving a high five and moving on. And after about another hour, John sees that the rest of the VBS activities are starting to wrap up with the team. And, uh, and so he hollers up to Bert, and he says, Bert, we've got to be getting close. How many do we have left now? And then there's this really long pause. And then Bert leans out the door, and he said, John, I still have one full suitcase left and a half a suitcase in front of me with about 50 flip-flops in it. They were floored, and they had that kind of reaction because that they knew that they were standing smack dab in the middle of a modern-day miracle. You can't tell me that God doesn't still do miracles. The rest of the team wrapped up all their VBS activities, and they came, and, and they stood beside that van, and John was recounting the story to me the other day. I didn't realize this. They stood beside the van, and they, were, they had tears streaming down their faces. And there was an electricity in the air that they'd never felt because they knew that God was using them to do something supernatural. Jen Doom, the population, was about eight to 900 people. The team gave flip-flops to every adult and every kid in Jen Doom, and they estimate another three villages. How many did I pack? 400. I packed them personally. My family loves to tell that story. It's a reminder that God still empowers his people with spiritual gifts at his will, according to his plan, in his timing, and it's not about us. It's about God exhibiting his holiness, exhibiting his power, and drawing people to himself. So what about you? You know, when we give up our Sunday morning and we choose to be here, we give up our football game or our sleep-in time, and we choose to be here and worship and pray and study together, we give God glory. When we choose to open our Bible and start where we are at, even though we don't really understand it, and we choose to memorize or listen or learn Scripture, we give God glory. And then when we choose to serve the people around us or in our community with the gifts he's given us, we give God glory. Our spiritual gifts are given to us for others through the Holy Spirit for God's glory. Some of us, though, might be sitting on them. Gosh darn it, I'm just too busy. I work a full-time job. I get that. Work a full-time job and volunteer here on the weekends. How do we serve? Well, let me give you perspective on why you should use your spiritual gifts to serve. My mom was a gift giver, and I thought about all the gifts that she had given me. If my mom had taken all that time to go out and find the perfect gift for me and wrap it, set it aside for me, present it to me on a special day, and I took that gift and said, thanks, mom, and set it aside and never opened it. And she saw it sitting there. 
How would that make my mom feel? Translate it forward. Some of us are sitting and making excuses and not using the gifts that God has given us. Some of us in this room have the gift of encouragement, and there is somebody sitting right next to you who needs to be encouraged. Some of us in this room have the gift of leadership, and you're so scared of that word. But turn around. If you are a leader, people are following you. And we need strong leadership in the church. Some of you are wounded, bleeding out. And there are those of you in here with the gift of mercy who need to come alongside and comfort those in our body. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul goes on to, defi or to define the church as a body. That we are a body and we are to take care of each other. But God has so composed the body, given greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. The church needs you. The body of Christ needs you to get in the game with your spiritual gifts. And I guarantee as you yield to Jesus, he will empower you to do the supernatural. So a couple of things before we close. If you want to explore this more, you're wondering, gosh, what spiritual gifts do I have? Sometimes it just takes exploring. Put them in play. Over the next month, you heard in the announcements that we're going to start um, a whole series called Love, Love Your Neighbor. Thank you. <laughs> Little brain fart there. Love Your Neighbor. You will have opportunities to serve others. Sometimes it just takes diving in and serving to explore what actually fits you. I remember the first time I was 17 years old, I didn't go to church on a regular basis, and I taught a three-year-old Sunday school class. And I remember feeling like, oh, I'm home. This is me. And I think the leaders only were having me teach it because they just wanted to get me to church on a regular basis. <laughs> you know what? What would it look like if you unwrapped your spiritual gifts? You have another, another opportunity on October 28th at our spiritual gifts class. But what would it look like for you to unwrap a spiritual gift and put it in play for God's kingdom? You know what? What if only turns to win when we put our gifts in play? Let's make them a reality. Will you pray with me? Lord, we, I love you. I thank you for all of us here, and I thank you how you have knit the body together so beautifully. There are so many of us in here who are talented and gifted, and Lord, we just want to give you the credit and the glory for that. And then there are some of us in here that you want to use in supernatural ways, moving beyond our talent and our giftedness. And yet there's a fear or a reticence there. Or maybe there's a belief holding them back. So right where we're at with every head bowed and eye closed, I just want to speak to those of you who may not have relationship with Jesus yet. You may not know what this is to have the indwelling Holy Spirit live in you, and you want that. You want to know that your life has purpose and that you are holy and dearly loved. And so for those of you, if that's you right where you're at, I'm just going to challenge you to pray this prayer to receive Jesus. 
Just pray this right where you're at. Jesus, I love you. I acknowledge that you are the Son of God. You came to this earth to die and pay the penalty for my sins, that I am a sinner. But Lord, that you save me and you forgive me of all my sins. And so I accept you as my Savior and I commit to follow you, Jesus. Show me the way. I will follow you every day of my life. In Jesus' name. For the rest of us in here, we just need an opportunity, Lord. Would you just highlight that opportunity for us? Highlight the pastor or staff member that we're supposed to talk to. Highlight our gifts in this, um, in this gifts class. But Lord, we, we want to see your kingdom come. Your will be done. We want to minister to those in your church. So show us how and show us our next steps. And we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. Would you go ahead and stand with me? If you accepted the Lord for the first time, you've never prayed that prayer before, I would love to meet you and get you started. I'll be right here over this, at this monitor. If you're new here at North Church, um, would love to meet you as well over under this monitor. If you need prayer over under this monitor, we'll see you next week. Bring somebody back to church. We start a whole new series on loving your neighbor next week. Have a great week.